0: locally grown radio cfro 100.5 fm vancouver's only cooperative radio
1: you're listening to vancouver co-op radio 100.5 cfro we are a non-commercial station bringing you voices and stories and perspectives you probably won't hear elsewhere we are supported by members and by donations You can become a member by going to our website at www.coopradio.org. If you like what you hear but don't want to be a member, that's cool too. You can still help by clicking on the donate arrow at the top right of the website. Coop Radio thanks you for listening and for helping build our community of listeners and programmers.
0: Every Sunday afternoon from 4 to 5.30 for What the Folk? Singer-songwriters, deep folk, roots music. It's all folk music. Sundays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Right here on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and www.coopradio.org.
1: Mariksha tali di, ya 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 ya. Ashwamedha bhano namuni ma, ya kamode to te gamare ke vyaagpa gele. Mariksha tali.
2: Hot Squile Monica Monica Queensnaw. Hello,
3: my name is Monica. We're from Norgate Community School.
0: Hot Squile Tanoyap, Norman Queen Tina Chitla Homalchistan Squalautu.
3: Chapwatakwai'an, Ta Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. Online at www.coopradio.org
0: Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM is member owned. When you take out a membership in Co-op Radio, you get a share in the station. This makes you a part owner.
4: Co-op Radio is member driven. When you become a member, you can get involved in programming and help run the station. Co-op Radio is community radio. Visit co-opradio.org to find out
5: how you can become a member.
0: Vancouver Cooperative Radio, CFRO, 100.5 FM, all different, all the time. Sound
5: Art The Media Arts Committee, or MAC, is a committee dedicated to serving, supporting, and building on the sound art and experimental audio community in Vancouver. A studio space and resources are provided for artists and residents and operated out of co-op radio. MAC holds sound art workshops and events for anyone who wants to get involved. All the information about it is on our website at mediaartscommittee.org. Every weekday from 7 to 8 a.m., Media Mornings brings you independent news and culture you won't hear anywhere else. Daily headlines,
1: interviews, countless local voices, and our Latin America Report help you make sense of today's news from Coast Salish territories to global affairs.
0: Guests include David Suzuki. Media
1: become hostages of the corporate agenda. and Thank God for the independents like you. Indigenous activists like
0: Pam Palmater.
6: This kind of radio show helps inform indigenous and non-indigenous people and hopefully inspire our Indigenous citizens to take action.
5: Social justice advocates like Maud Barlow. We are have continued to be America's gas tank, although now we want to be
1: the gas tank for the world. Artists like Kenny Starr. Change is created by lots of different
6: types of activists. Race spoon. Gender is limiting and affecting everyone. And
1: authors like Michael
0: Parenti. The state is at the service of these corporations.
1: So tune in to Media Mornings, weekdays 7 to 8 a.m.
0: On Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM
5: and podcasting at W2 Media.
2: Oh, Son of Spirit, oh, Son of Spirit, oh, Son of Spirit, O Son of Spirit, O Son of Spirit, O Son of Spirit Noble have I created thee, yet thou hast abased thyself Noble have I created thee, yet thou hast abased thyself O oh Son of Spirit, oh, Son of Spirit, oh, Son of Spirit. O oh son, oh son of Spirit, oh, Son of Spirit, oh, Son of Spirit. Rise then unto that for which thou wast created. Rise then unto that for which thou wast created O son of spirit O son of spirit Oh son of spirit O oh, son of spirit O son of spirit Oh son of spirit, oh, son of spirit. Oh, son of spirit. Noble have I created thee, yet thou hast abased thyself. Noble have I created thee, yet thou hast abased thyself. O Son of Spirit, O Son of Spirit, O Son of Spirit. O oh, son of spirit, O oh, son of spirit, O oh, son of spirit, rise then unto that for which thou wast created, rise then unto that for which thou wast created, O oh, 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 son of spirit. Oh son of spirit, oh, son of spirit. Oh son of spirit, oh son of spirit, oh son of spirit. Oh son of spirit, oh son of spirit, oh son of spirit. Oh, son of spirit. Son of spirit oh son of spirit oh son
0: of spirit Kois kena mchatlam natlasmen manet neht ewes lolam las khoch'en
5: lolam la khoch'tlaqam natchem kot'aynah This is deer hunting song Snoe'ev Tuesdays
0: 1 to 2 p.m a program celebrating First Nations languages and cultural topics, including history, poetry, music, and spirituality. Snowaith Broadcasting on Vancouver Co-op Radio from the unceded Coast Salish Territory every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. and syndicated on UBC's CITR 101.9 FM, Wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m.
4: Welcome to Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO. I'm Ganarji O'Sullivan. And today uh, we are going to be looking at the principles of the Baha'i Faith with Sarvanez, Cyrus, and Michelle, who are from the community. W- welcome to the program.
5: Hello. Hi,
4: Hello. Last week you joined us. And uh, let's just recap for the listeners uh, what we talked about last week.
6: Sure. Um, We talked about a number of subjects last week and gave you an introduction to the Baha'i faith as well. Um, One topic that we covered was um, the celebration for Resvon. There was a children's festival over the weekend at Kitsilano Community Center, and uh, we had a great turnout, and we were happy that you also came with your family.
4: That's right. You had a number of workshop tables. People were making crafts and uh, preparing for Mother's Day and eating. Feasting together.
6: Yeah, it was really great. So, we had a few different crafts uh, on the theme of the unity of mankind, uh-huh. and the kids got to make uh, unity flower pots and a unity tree. We also made care packages for the Aboriginal Mother Center that will be delivered this week, and um, we'll be taking those to them. And can you tell me a little bit about the Unity Garden? Yeah, sure. So, um, this is inspired by a quote in the Baha'i Writings. Uh, where Baha'u'llah says that we are all the flowers of one garden and the leaves of one branch, the waves of one sea, uh, really, uh, which speaks to the, um, the main idea of the Baha'i faith and teaching of, of unity of mankind. So the children uh, had the opportunity to create, uh, take a flower pot and create flowers and to think about that as they were making it and that, you know, if the flowers of one garden were all one color, it wouldn't be as beautiful um, uh, as flowers being of different colors. So that idea of diversity.
4: And their diversity flourished at the Kitsilano Community Centre. And as that was going on, um, Cyrus, you were doing an after school program and activities uh, at the ray camp center or at the strathcona community center that's right you're all over the place come <laughs> to think yeah of it, was a,
5: it was a busy day actually i went to three resvon celebrations uh-huh. that's a, i think it's a world record um so i started um at the one in Kitsilano, and uh, and it was beautiful and then um we had one in strathcona for for our community so we had about um i think 40 or so people come from the community and um it was it was really amazing. We had uh, about like 20 children that came and they shared songs. We talked about Res Vaughan And uh, we also had a, a group service project. So the junior youth in in Strathcona wanted to do something with the whole community. So we we did a lesson in one of our programs about the environment and the importance of taking care of the environment for future generations. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they had was that we would get uh, small plots of flowers and plants and we had about 40 of them and we gave them out to every person that came um, to the gathering in Strathcona and um, we came up with this hashtag um, plant the change and um, and so the intention is that everyone goes home and either in their garden or in their window I have I don't have a garden so mine's in my window we'll see how it grows but mm-hmm. um The idea is that everyone kind of goes home and plants these and helps them grow over springtime. And just something to think about and something to help connect us um, and think about this idea of taking care of future generations.
4: Ah, Interesting you should say that because I went to an I Hope concert where Buffy St. Marie, Andrea Menard, and uh, Suzanne Aglucart Aglucart performed to raise funds for an anti-suicide youth group. Uh, So they wanted to raise funds, so the youth group could arm themselves with information and knowledge on how to advocate and support other youth who were contemplating suicide, how to look for the signs and uh, how to act on the signs. And I had a chance to interview Buffy St. Marie after the concert, and I asked her um, what uh, she could say about uh, the high suicide rate and what how she could give our people some form of hope and she said uh, that what we need to do is learn how to take care of each other and she said that you know and how to take care of yourself and if you don't care enough about yourself then uh, get a plant she said and start there take care of something you know to keep your mind off of everything else if that's all it does. Beautiful. yeah so uh i bet you want to hear some buffy saint marie now don't you <laughs> <laughs> we you love can buffy. hit her up on on www. uh buffy saint marie she has a new album out called power in the blood
6: right yes.
4: so that's an interesting parallel that we can draw and uh and I, I like the concept of of the garden beautiful concept
6: yeah it's it's really wonderful and i think for children and youth, it's its very effective to use these metaphors and to have them engage in these activities of either creating or uh, being active in, in uh, socially conscious uh, endeavors like Cyrus is describing, you know, to get them involved in these ways and it's really effective uh, for the younger generations. In fact, today we have Michelle uh, Davy Hatcher with us who has been through the junior youth program herself. And <laughs> yes, and also been an animator for uh, the junior youth. That's sort of the coordinator, the leader of the group. So I'm going to pass it to her and, and let her tell us a little bit about it.
3: Yeah, so I actually grew up in California uh, and I've lived in Vancouver for three years and I'm 21. And I, when I was a uh, younger youth, so maybe aged 11, 12, these books were actually being in the process of being created so um, as we were going through them me my friends my peers they were really developing these materials and they're still developing these materials and they're actually being used all over the world Um, it's been really beautiful to see that when I lived in San Francisco in California we had these activities and moving to Vancouver we're learning about the same things and actually in communities everywhere, South America, Europe, (laughs) everywhere, in India even, and um, we actually brought in a book today, but there's a series of books, and each book kind of tells different stories about youth around the world, and they're aimed to help young people think about their social reality reflect about the the issues that they face in their life reflect about how they want to live their life um, how to be of service to humankind and how to express themselves express their feelings consult with one another and these spaces where they study these books are places where they come up with service projects together so um When I was younger, we came up with a project um, where we raised money for disaster relief and we went to the park and we sold uh, various pins that we had created and we also did, uh, we worked with the city, with the Department of Public Works and worked in gardening and beautifying the city and i think these service projects can really vary depending on where these youth live and what they see as being needed in their community and how they can be of service in that area
4: yeah and Thanks, so where Michelle. do you fit in uh as far as the services that you provide Once um again.
3: so i actually i'm not currently animating a junior youth group but i have in the past uh, my roommate does. She has a group. A lot of youth have a group. I think the the goal of this program is to create a sustaining process of raising resources of youth to support other youth. So you start the program when you're maybe 11 years old. You go through these books and you're you're mentored basically by someone who is maybe in their later 20s, even earlier 20s some animators are are even older than that too and even younger maybe fresh out of doing these books and then we have other resources that help train those who have gone through these books to then do them with others and kind of restart that process so while I'm not currently animating um there's many of us that are and yeah, Cyrus is one of those people, actually. He can
6: speak to that.
4: Well, when I hear the word animating, I think of animation. Are, are we talking the same language here? Yeah, or? no. Well,
6: an animator uh, in the sense of like the coordinator or the leader. So oh. it kind of animates the group, right? So sometimes it can be a bit confusing with that word, yeah. <laughs> but it is the group leader or the um the teacher in a sense.
3: I think the the use of this word is is very interesting because it's a very creative word yeah. and I think mm-hmm. the purpose of the program is to sh- to shy away from it being a teacher to student role, but rather an equal environment in which both parties are learning from one another um both the one kind of there to mentor younger youth and vice versa and that it's really an organic process
5: yeah i can say from my my own experience in strathcona at uh stamps place that you know i honestly i think i've benefited more than the kids themselves mm-hmm. um you know you learn a lot i mean going through all these lessons together um, these lessons really and these wisdoms apply to anyone, not just youth. Um, but obviously, as you know, Michelle mentioned, it's a, it's a critical age. Uh, and w- one thing we can maybe do is share, um, I brought along um, one of the books that we studied. So this book is called Glimmerings of Hope, and it's one of the series of books um, that Michelle mentioned. And, um, and I, we can share the story. And um, the, the theme from this particular book is about a boy named Kabomi. And um, it's a fictional story, but it's based on a boy in an African country. It doesn't say which country, um, but it's kind of a war-torn country. So he had been separated from his parents um, and was involved in this conflict between two warring tribes.
3: So I will read the story. Kabomi walks at night and rests during the day. He has not eaten for two days and is weak. As he waits again for dark, he thinks about his parents. Why did the Kungu soldiers kill them? His heart is filled with pain. Kibomi hears footsteps and hides down in the grass. An old man walks by. He is using a traditional Kungu walking stick. Kibomi is afraid, but he follows the man at a distance, hoping he might find food. The old man walks to a small hut deep in the bush. Kibomi sees him go inside the hut and sit down to eat. His back is to the door. Kibomi picks up a rock and slowly walks to the door. Just as he is about to enter and hit the old man on the back of the head, the man speaks, "'I know you are hungry, boy. Why don't you sit down and eat with me?' Kibomi stops with fear. The man speaks kindly again, "'Come and eat. I will not hurt you.'" Kibomi sits beside the man, but keeps the rock next to him. The old man gives him sweet potato. Kibomi quickly takes the food and eats it. After a few minutes, Kibomi looks up at the man and says, Sir, why are you being kind to me? The man smiles and says, You wonder why a kungu should be kind to an abumba? It is true we are of different tribes, but we are the same inside. We each have a heart, we each have a soul, and we want happiness for those we love. Kibomi pushes the rock away and asks, why do tribes fight then? Belonging to a tribe helps us to feel part of a group and also to recognize ourselves, says the old man. But we must not fight and harm one another because we are from different tribes. We were created to love, not to hate. The man stops talking and looks into Kibomi's eyes. We all have choices to make in our lives, he says gently. We can work together to build a better world, or we can hate and destroy each other. There is a noise outside, and the old man is worried. It is not safe here. You must go, he says quietly. He wraps some sweet potato in a leaf and gives it to Kibomi. Kibomi thanks him and runs into the forest.
6: Thank you, Michelle. And with that, we're going to play some music from uh, some of the Afro-Cuban Baha'is. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that. It's called Oye Oye by Talisman.
4: You're listening to Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO.
5: This is deer hunting song.
0: Snoeth Tuesdays 1 to 2 pm. A program celebrating First Nations languages and cultural topics, including history, poetry, music and spirituality. Snowaeth Broadcasting on Vancouver Co-op Radio from the unceded Coast Salish Territory every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. and syndicated on UBC CITR 101.9 FM, Wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m.
4: You're listening to Co-op Radio 100.5 CFRO. I'm Gnardio Sullivan, O'Sullivan, your host today. I have special guests in the house with me, Sarvanaz, Cyrus, and Michelle from the Baha'i community. Uh, they're here, they are here to share the principles of their faith and have also brought us insight into a publication called Glimmerings of Hope. And uh, most interesting conversations we're having here, Sabinez. <laughs> it's nice to see you again. I just saw you yesterday at uh, the Museum of Anthropology at the Celebration of Life for Bo Deck.
6: Yes, on Sunday. Yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful program they had there at the Museum of Anthropology.
4: It was funny how Bo had built this relationship with the faculty at UBC in, in such a short time, uh, one of the um, the curators got up and he talked about how he was talking to Dana Claxton about uh, who should be the next uh, artist in residence. And off the top of her head, she said, Bo Dick, of course, you know. And then she went home and I guess made a call to Bo and had mentioned that he could possibly be a resident artist in residence at UBC. And apparently Bo went in there the very next day and walked up to the curator and said that, uh, yeah, I'm Bo Dick, and when do I start my residency? That's right. And six years later, he was still there, even though it was only supposed to be be a three to six month program.
6: Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was um, wonderful to hear the stories from the faculty and to see what an important role he played at the university and, and the big contribution that he made both to the uh, Fine Arts Department and also uh, to the Balkan Gallery there on the UBC campus Uh and uh, just by... Worldwide. Yes, worldwide, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
4: And the copper journey, you know, I think we we really couldn't talk enough about that and what I really loved about the journey is that he reinstilled the traditional uh, values of our people and uh, even the language and ceremony by bringing the copper uh, from the legislative lawn to uh, the parliamentary hill uh, breaking it putting it on top of the apology to say that the relationship between the government and first nations people in canada has been broken and shame on canada for that and and uh, i guess what i'm saying is that uh, what Bo did was he practiced uh, our ways and reinstilled it, and, and uh, that is the work that we have to do. And I find it interesting that your community has also uh, had their um, cultural ways and traditional values demolished uh, by law as well.
6: Uh, yes, uh, the situation of the Baha'is in Iran. <laughs> There's been a long history of persecution uh, from the beginnings of the Baha'i Faith. Uh, the forerunner to the Baha'i Faith, the Bob, was his title, which meant the gate, and very similar to St. John the Baptist, uh, who foretold of the coming of Christ. The Bab, uh, was um, came with a message that somebody was coming, the promised one for all religions uh, was coming, and uh, he was up against great resistance. Uh, in Iran in 1844 and was publicly executed along with over 20,000 other followers that he had at the time uh, who were killed um, uh, in those days. And then the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah as well, um, he lived in exile most of his life and was imprisoned um, as he brought a message uh, with very progressive ideas of unity and the equality of men and women. And uh, the Rulers of that time were not pleased with this and uh, wanted to stop the growth of, of the Baha'i community and the followers uh, that, were, that he was amassing at that time. And then this continued uh, in Iran over the years. At times, there was more tolerance and acceptance for Baha'is in the country, and they were able to live there, uh, um, but they w- never really had legal rights um, at all, although many of them lived there in peace for some years. And then uh, in 1979, uh, the uh, revolution in Iran happened, the Islamic revolution, where the clergy um, and uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini at that time uh, overthrew the, the Shah's rule. And uh, Baha'is again suffered a great deal of persecution. Many were uh, executed um, publicly. Um, many left Iran at that time out of fear for their lives. Um, my own great uncle, my mom's uncle, was killed. He was executed. And really, often they, they would like Baha'is to just deny their faith, just to say that they're not a Baha'i. Uh, mm-hmm. And as Baha'is, um, we don't do that. We stand by our faith, and uh, many people have lost their lives uh, standing up for their faith and standing beside it. Um, and now, uh, this has continued, um, less so with sort of public executions, but there are many arrests, uh, businesses are shut down, uh, Baha'is are not allowed to have any higher education post-secondary, so no university for Baha'is in Iran. Uh, they often are, you know, they've been tortured, sometimes they're captured, we still have Baha'is in prison today in Iran, uh really with no charges against them. They're held there under false charges, under false ac- accusations. And there are things like destruction of cemeteries, uh, destructions of our, of our holy sites that have occurred. And so it's been a very painful um, experience, I think, for the Baha'is all, all of these years. And um,
4: that is just for having uh, pr- principles of faith, basically.
6: Well, I think there's certain principles as well that are threatening to the Islamic government there. Mm -hmm. One of them being that we don't have any clergy in the Baha'i faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, Baha'u'llah felt that humanity was ready to have individual investigation of truth. Um, That it was your relationship with God was individual and independent and there was no need for priests or clergy anymore. And uh, the government in Iran is, is largely run by clergymen. Um, And and so this does definitely go against uh, the the system that is in place in Iran already. Also, you have principles like the equality of men and women, um, the acceptance of all people and all religions, and an acceptance of the West. You know, so um, for many Middle Eastern countries, sometimes there is uh, the idea that you know, they have to be Muslim, and that is the way to the truth. Uh, and um, the Baha'i faith brings in a much more open idea of a unification between East and West, and, and no war between these co- countries and a world government that would include everyone. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, a very different way of thinking than what is currently um, happening in Iran.
4: And so that is what brought you here to Canada, was Yes, the yes. struggle uh, between the, your faith and the government.
6: Yes. Uh, in 1979, when the Shah's regime was overthrown by the Islamic government and the clergy, the um, uh, Baha'is again suffered severe persecution. My, my father was blacklisted at that time. Uh, and and he'd come out of the country, actually, because I was uh, being born in London, England at that time, and uh, the revolution broke out two weeks later. So my parents left everything they had. They uh, never went back, and they have never been back since. Yeah.
4: And now you bring us your faith here to Canada and are practicing with the utmost freedom uh, the way and the principles that... Get yes, um, we feel very by.
6: privileged and happy and, and grateful to be in Canada, mm-hmm. in a country where we're free to, uh, you know, practice our faith, to uh, have freedom of speech, um, and, and to live in, draw in peace. you any
4: parallels between your experience in your country with those here in Canada, like the Indigenous people of Canada? I, I know that, uh, Cyrus, you've been to many potlatches and probably know that our potlatches were outlawed until about 1952, and uh, even then, our people were underground with uh, with our with the potlatch and the ceremonies.
5: Yes, and of course, um, you know, residential schools. I think were last one closed in 1992. Is that right or 94? Yes, I believe. So the persecution and oppression of you know First Nations people. Um, I mean, it continues, and it's, uh, you know, long-standing. And I think for many Baha'is, I think for all Baha'is, they can relate on some level. Of course, the oppression is is quite different, Um, but I think, you know, Baha'is can really relate to, I think, what First Nations people have been through. And um, I think there's a common, um, you know, experience of of this kind of oppression.
4: Uh And so were people, did people have to go underground?
6: Yes, um, actually, currently in Iran, there is an underground university uh, Mm -hmm. that is called the Baha'i Institute of Higher Education, Mm -hmm. and uh, for the the youth and and students who want to continue their education after high school, uh, they have established a program where um, these um, young individuals can learn from professionals. Um, In a very, like underground, exactly as you said, in the homes of of Baha'is in Iran, Uh but they're usually held in their basements or privately and secretly in their homes. And these youth learn often through Skype um, from professionals all around the world who will teach them um, various uh, different subjects. Uh And um, these students do the same amount of work as is required in a university degree or to get into universities and apply to go to universities around the world. And Canada was actually one of the first countries to accept these students into their universities. So places like UBC, Concordia University in Montreal Uh have accepted Baha'is from Iran who attended this underground university. And also now we have students going to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, um, that have all come out of Iran and been accepted to these institutions. We also um, have um, uh, we also have uh, um, different uh, initiatives to raise awareness about this. So one is called uh, "Education is Not a Crime." And this is a worldwide campaign um, to raise awareness about the systematic denial of education to Baha'is in Iran. And uh, we'd love to actually play you a clip. Okay, um, let's hear it. uh, From that. And this is actually a trailer to a film that's um, going to be coming out soon uh, through the Education is Not a Crime campaign. And it's called Changing the World, One Wall at a Time. And the reason this is, is that they're painting murals in big cities all around the world um, to um, uh, raise awareness about this.
3: Street art is amazing because it's a forum for dialogue. You know, the way that you depict things and where you put things, it creates a story and anyone that walks by gets to interact with that piece.
0: This is the story of an ambitious campaign. We fought brutality with arts and creativity. Since the 1980s, the Iranian government has expelled, arrested and harassed any youth from the Baha'i faith who has tried to receive an
5: education in that country. Now education is not a crime. It should never be one, ever.
3: They would be like, well, what is your religion? And as soon as I say, it's Baha'i, they're like, whoa, no, Baha'is are not allowed to go to universities.
1: Oh, yeah. In Harlem, there are a number of murals going up with messages about human rights and education. It
4: speaks to uh, people who are eager to learn. Uh, that's what's so uh, dope about it. It's
0: good for the kids, environment, you yeah, know? Environment. Everything, everything. They're doing a great job, man. God bless you man.
4: One of the things that is striking, it sounds like the same experience of my ancestors as slaves,
1: and
2: they're being denied the right to education.
0: Religious extremism, xenophobia, they exist in different parts of the world. So people identified with our campaign and then we decided to go international. Presidents in Bondi may have noticed a striking piece of art on the beach's seawall today. It's a way to engage and exchange with the community. And the art has this power. We have walls in New York, and Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo, Delhi, Sydney—you name it. The cause is much bigger
6: than any of us here. You know, it's—it's it's a global issue. Being able to add my little bit to it, I'm excited. For it. Hopefully, it inspires other people, and one person gets a little like spark to like go out and like make a difference. I,
3: like I your painting. love painting. I like your your painting. painting. What part of it do you like? Like the colors. Yeah, I like the whole thing. And then
2: it says, "Knowledge is power." Yeah, I like that too. (laughs) That is true. Knowledge is
4: power. When I grow up and I get
5: to
4: college, I want to be like a doctor. I want to be a singer. I want to be a teacher. Yeah, that's amazing. So you want to be a teacher, do you? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds exciting. Most of our kids have really, really big dreams. You know, they never aspire to get caught up in on the wild side of life or anything. And it's important to have uh, communities of people who are looking out for the interest of our young people. And currently we're talking about education and, uh, and uh, community with Michelle. Hi. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good. So um, one of the things I had uh, in mind was... Do you I know you have after school programs, but are you looking at perhaps uh, having alternative schools and educational systems for that teach the Baha'i faith? Yeah, so
3: I can speak to that. There's a few avenues that Mm -hmm. I think touch upon that concept there are actually a handful of Baha'i-inspired education institutions around the world. Um, to my knowledge, mainly high school, so grades 9 to 12. I think there's maybe two or three in Canada. My cousin actually even went to one for her high school career. Another avenue I can speak to, although it is after, kind of like more after-school approach, is we have spiritual education classes for children so children of all ages we we've talked a little earlier on your show about the junior youth spiritual empowerment program for youth aged 11 to 13 Um, but we have classes um, offered all around the world for children younger than that in which we we look at spiritual education as very important and something that really shapes the trajectory of how one acts and interacts with others and so we talk about themes of love and kindness and unity and diversity and all of these beautiful things another thing i can speak to is the association for baha'i studies which is something that happens well it's actually an, um a journal in which scholars from all backgrounds publish work in relation to thinking about Baha'i concepts, Baha'i writings, the writings of Baha'u'llah, the prophet, founder of the faith, um, and other very significant um, figures in the in the faith. There's actually a lot of writing about unity of science and religion, um, the environment, equality between men and women, and medicine, and, and so... Professionals in all of these areas are considering these links to their disciplines, considering the links to spirituality and material reality. And there's conferences that happen every year in the summer um, for Association for Baha'i Studies. So there's kind of avenues at all level of learning that's being conducted. Just one other thing that that I can think of is there's Baha'i schools in um, around the world there's there's two in the states. There's one on the West Coast, one on the east coast. The one on the west coast is called Bosch Baha'i School and the one on the East Coast is called Greenacre Baha'i School. And they're open all year round to Baha'is and the like. Anyone really who would like to come
4: and are they like boarding schools?
3: So they they're actually places choose? yeah, they're places where they have, for example, summer programming for Um, maybe week or two-week long sessions for, again, youth, older youth, families. You can bring your whole entire family, and the whole theme of the workshop will be family life and health. And um, every week, they kind of rotate through different themes and concepts, and they invite different speakers to come speak, and they have programs for children while parents will sit in these lectures And they also have a lot of there's a lot of youth who travel worldwide to these institutions to serve and they actually are the ones who do the hospitality make all the food for everyone so it's this whole endeavor of creating spaces for people to come together and learn as a community and. Um, reflect on very important themes of education being at the forefront of that,
4: for sure. And when you were at the Resvan celebration uh, this Sunday, you were running around with the camera and doing Mm -hmm. interviews with people. Can you tell our listeners what you found? So there's a media team in Vancouver
3: who's kind of running around, like you said, to all of our events that the Baha'i community is organizing. And we're filming and we're, we're interviewing people who are new to these events and people who organize these events to really learn from from all the activities happening. Um, There's media teams all over the world that are covering these activities so the junior youth program, the children's classes program and these events like the one that Sarvanaz who's here today organized for children Um, and so these these media teams are putting together content that can be shared that can be used to gain insights from various communities you can gain inspiration and ideas and it's really exciting to be a part of that for sure
4: and tell me what uh part what what has the community here um been interacting with first nations people and integrating some of our language and culture into your your gatherings
3: I think maybe Cyrus could speak
4: to okay. that more than I could, right.
5: yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a long um, history, I think, in connection um, between the First Nation peoples and the Baha'i community. I mean, member many uh, members of the Baha'i community are, are First Nations. I think, Sarbanas, what was the percentage or something? It was.
6: I think it's uh, over 15% of the Baha'is in Canada are of Aboriginal descent.
5: Mm-hmm. And uh, like one event I remember in particular that stood out to me, I think it was a couple years ago, we had a, um, a reconciliation workshop um, at the Vancouver Baha'i Center that was um, uh, facilitated by um, several of our close friends, including um, Robert, Chief Robert Joseph and Shelley Joseph, two people we, we love deeply and are um, we consider part of our community. And, uh, and they held a, a workshop at the Baha'i Center and many Baha'is attended.
4: And what did they talk about at the workshop?
5: They shared, um, you know, I think they had a structure that they use mm-hmm. in all of these workshops, but they shared their experiences and experiences of many First Nation people in residential schools. Mm-hmm. And I think for some some Baha'is, they were, you know, for many of us, we were not exposed to that, um, in, you know, our, earlier in our life. So we talked about that and really sharing of ideas from both communities and really promoting this uh, message of oneness. And this is something that um, Robert Joseph Spoke about uh, the most was this importance of unity, of bringing people together. um and, well,
4: and does he ever know how to do that? Seventy-five thousand people took the walk for reconciliation. Yeah, all at once.
5: I was one of them. Yeah,
4: you were, I was too. there too. Yeah,
5: it was amazing.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Uh, they did an awakening uh, where they uh, the uh, bodic and all of the masks uh, came out in full force. And I thought that awakening was very symbolic uh, because that is where we are at uh, in this day. Because they started it off with uh, a kind of an anticipating. You, it has a big screen, it comes up yeah. a little bit, and then all of the masks start popping their heads up little by little. And then the screen goes back down, and then it, they all, the screen goes back up, and then they're more excited it's anticipating
5: it, it was incredible I was right at the, the front walk. I was right at the front as well and I didn't realize all of those amazing masks they're huge and beautiful oh. um my friend uh William Wadsden was there dancing yeah and I asked him I said where all these masks come from and he said they were all carved by Bo that's and right I had no idea and then I, I went back to I have a video of it actually and I remember do you
4: I would love to y- see that video. I'll have to
5: share it it's, it was amazing and then you see Bo kind of hidden in there in the background um uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, he made, for those who weren't there, he made all these beautiful masks um, that were part of that unveiling and part of that ceremony.
4: Uh, it was a beautiful ceremony and very mm-hmm. inspiring. Yeah, so, and I'd, you, I'd also there like there to
6: mention, uh, yeah, I was I was at part of that march for reconciliation, yes. And um, this this month as well, uh, one of the friends in our community mentioned to me about an individual, Dorothy Francis, who um, uh helped to establish, I believe, the Friendship Center, the Aboriginal Friendship Center. That's
5: right. Yeah, the one that we're, you know, right in our, our Vancouver as well.
6: Yeah. So, and she, I, I remember her as a child. She was here um, in Vancouver and passed away in Westminster. Um, and she was a member of the Baha'i community, a Baha'i of, uh, uh, I believe, um, the Salto, I think it's Salto First Nation. Oh, yeah. That's right. And from Manitoba. And... Um, uh, she also, you know, she promoted Aboriginal culture and identity in, in so many ways and and uh, was uh, received the Order of Canada as well. And so we'll be remembering her this month and hopefully um, have a, an event to, to remember her.
4: And then also there was a rumor that Buffy St. Marie is also... Uh,
6: has she's a friend interest yes.
4: <laughs> and a friend of the, the Baha'i community Baha'i a Baha'i great community. friend of the
6: Baha'i community yes yeah. yes and has been involved in some conferences and and uh, musical programs and initiatives that uh, we've had um, um, and uh, a wonderful friend of the Baha'i community
4: mm-hmm. yeah that's a beautiful thing
6: yeah it is it's a it's a it's a very diverse community with a great love for aboriginal communities as well all around the world
4: well, you know, we have so much to talk about. We barely scrape, uh you know, scratched the tip of the iceberg here. We did talk about glimmerings of hope. And uh, we also talked about uh, some of the principles of the Baha'i faith and uh, some of the issues around the outlaw and even the importance of education, after-school programs, mm-hmm. and hopes for maybe... Uh, more alternative schools.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I I really enjoyed talking about also the similarities between the Bahai community and uh, the suffering that they've had to endure with with in relation to education and the persecution, and also with the First Nations community uh, having had that and trying to build this back up in our own educational system in Canada, with you know addressing residential schools and teaching. Um, Canadian students uh, about the history of um, the First Nations community here, of utmost importance. So we can uh, play a prayer as we end off the show, uh, a song. Okay. Um, this is by one of our local, very talented singers, Shadi Tolui-Wallace, and her mother, Shiran Tului wallace And the song is called Remover. And it's, in it, she's singing um, a prayer about the remover of difficulties um, and to asking God to remove those difficulties. And I think we'll end off with that as we've spoken about the difficulties endured by both of these communities.
2: Is in